I know that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've declared that which I didn't understand. I've been talking about things far too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak, and I will ask you. And you instruct me, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. That's where God wanted Job. That's where he wants you and me. Humbled before him. That's where Paul quotes from when he says, Don't you think that you can in any way put God in your debt? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, To Him Be the Glory Forever. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. God never makes a mistake. His judgments, His decisions, His priorities, His decrees are right. David said in the 19th Psalm, the judgments of the Lord are right. They are righteous altogether. He orchestrates everything in such a way that everything that He does is right. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways, Paul says. Inscrutable, incomprehensible. And he's not using this in a negative sense like we might say to somebody, I can't figure out what you're doing. And we have the, you know, you can tell by our tone of voice that we think that they don't know what they're doing either. But he is saying, how inscrutable, how unsearchable are the ways of the Lord because they are perfect. They do work together for our good and His glory. He is orchestrating all things so that He will sum up everything in Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ah, oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Look at the end of verse 33 there. You see, in heaven, in heaven, we will be uh, praising Him for just this. You know, heaven is going to be full of praise. And it is right now. When John got a glimpse into heaven in Revelation, what he wrote down, in Revelation 15, he saw this, the, them holding harps of God, we're told. And I think of the music of heaven and the praise of heaven and the united voice and the harmonious worship and praise of God that's going on in heaven right now and will be part of someday. And listen to what Revelation 15 says. Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Righteous and true are thy ways, thou king of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou alone art holy. He's the only one. For all the nations will come and worship before thee. That's what we've been seeing in Romans 11. God isn't somehow wringing his hands as history unfolds. He's in charge. He'll use his nation, Israel, he hasn't forgotten them, and he will bless all the nations, and he's going to orchestrate history in such a way that it will be to the praise of the glory of his grace. 
And so Revelation says in, in, in heaven they're saying, for all the nations will come and worship before thee, for thy righteous acts have been revealed. God's salvation has been revealed and made known, and Christians, we know that, we give him praise. A Christian is one who realizes this and gives him praise. His ways are absolutely perfect. Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? You can't begin to really get your arms around him, so to speak, mentally. Who in the world could ever become his counselor? And it's interesting. Paul doesn't just say these things. He's quoting scripture. And it's very good to look back and see where he's quoting from. Verse 34, he quotes right out of the heart of Isaiah 40. Turn there for just a minute. Look at Isaiah 40, because he quotes verse uh, 13 when he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Who could ever give him any advice? He doesn't need any. He knows everything. And he's in charge. And he uses his power and his knowledge with absolute righteousness and perfection and wisdom. And so Isaiah 40, you know, that Paul quotes from, just listen to the language. Uh, Isaiah, you know, uses Hebrew poetry to just picture for us. Uh, Verse 13 is where Paul quoted, but just read the paragraph around it, starting at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? We're talking about God here. And he says, he's got the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean and all the other oceans in the palm of his hand. He's marked off the heavens by the span. We keep learning about these zillions, you know, we can't, we have to use these exponential numbers that really don't make any sense to think of the distances in space. God measures that out like this with the span of his hand. Just, we have a great God. He, he created all this. He calculates the dust of the earth by the measure. He weighs the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. You know, Mount Hood, St. Helens, you heard all the stats when the thing blew, you know, and and we had the 20-year anniversary and all the stats came out again, all the tonnage and everything. He measures that like in a scales. All the mountains, all the hills, he can hold them up like this in a scales. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him, with whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge? Who would dare to teach God about things. Well, we got plenty, I know, today, trying to. But the Scripture says, oh, no, no. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, verse 15, and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. You got this scale perfectly balanced, and a little speck of dust lands on it. It doesn't even move. That's what the nations are like to God. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon isn't enough to burn. He looks at all the lumber country and the timber country of Lebanon. You know, he looked up there at all the forests of Lebanon and Israel. That pictured man's, uh, you know, stately forests or gods, I should say. But, you know, all that man could see there. And he said, that's, that's not enough for one burnt offering for the Lord. All the nations, verse 17, are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then, verse 18, will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with Him? He's absolutely without analogy. You can't come up with a big enough analogy. Who could you liken God to? There is no one. Verse 23, He it is 
who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. The presidents, oh, they come and they go. One election's over and they're already politicking for the next one. You know how that is. The dictators, they set up their little strong arm system and it goes away. It comes and it goes. Scarcely have they been planted, verse 24. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither and the storms carry them away like stubble. I'll tell you, the big announcements, the big headlines shouldn't be who's elected or who won which war. You know what the great announcement should be? It's right here in this chapter. Look at verse 6. A voice says, call out. And this is the chapter, by the way, member of John the Baptist. A voice calling, verse 3. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. This is this was John's chapter. And the voice says, verse 6, call out and answer, what shall I call out? Call this out. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Everything else will go away, but the word of God stands forever. Well, what's the announcement of the word of God? Verse 9. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might. And John came on the scene and he said, prepare the way for the Lord. There he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There He is, the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. There He is, the Son of God. This is the announcement, Jesus Christ, that's what. And so Romans, rightfully, after announcing Christ and all the implications of Christ, Paul bursts into praise and says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who's become His counselor? Or, read verse 35. Back in Romans 11 now, who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Mark it. No creature can ever put the Creator in his debt. Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? That's the way the natural man thinks. The non-Christian today I might even be in a so-called Christian church, but he thinks that if you give to God enough money, enough good works, enough church attendance, enough rituals, enough do-gooding, then God will owe you something, that He'll give you eternal life. He'll give you heaven when you die. That's man's thinking. Who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? This will never be If you think that way today, drop it. Don't think that way. You can't put God in your debt. You can't do enough good stuff that He owes you anything. Now, verse 35, in fact, is a capsule of the message of Romans. The Christian is the one who has realized, I don't have anything to give Him except sin. And what I deserve is judgment. 
But He has given me, He has lavished on me salvation. Oh, let me just stop right there for a second and just tell you, don't begin to think. And if you have been thinking that you could make God owe you something, drop that thinking like a hot potato. You'll never make God owe you anything. God will never be in anyone's debt. And you can't earn salvation in any way, shape, or form. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. And I'll tell you something else, Christian. You've come to know that. The deeper you and I know that, self-pity, little bitternesses, complaining, that stuff will flee if we really know who God is. If we really understand that from Him comes everything, who has first given to Him that He owes us anything? You say, isn't that kind of a harsh way to apply this, Scott? Why, why would you apply this, this? Are you sure you should even take a verse like verse 35 and use it that way? I'm dead sure. It's coming from Job 41. He quotes right out of Job 41, verse, uh, verse 11. And Job, the whole point of the end of Job, in fact, the whole point of the book of Job was just that. Job was afflicted. And he began to question. He began to complain. He began to wonder, why is this? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, why is it? And you've fallen into complaining. And you're thinking, why is it that I've got this and he doesn't or she doesn't? Why is it that these things are coming down my way? And I'll tell you, to the degree that you're doing that, you're forgetting who God really is. And Job, you remember for 40 Two chapters, really. It's an epic poem to teach us that one truth. And you get there, and he says, listen, the three friends of Job, they didn't make much sense, and they didn't get very far with Job. And Job was starting to complain and wonder, why is it that these things are coming my way? Turn over there to Job and just look at it with me briefly. Just glance at chapter 38. Job 38. In fact, really, uh, Elihu comes on the scene in the three or four chapters before that, and he he says in chapter 35, he says, listen, and he kind of introduces what God's going to say in one sense. If you are righteous, what did you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Listen, Job, who do you think you are that you could give to God anything? Uh, And then God answers in chapter 38, after Job has wondered this for many chapters now, then the Lord, look at verse 1, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel? By words without knowledge. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I'll ask you, and you instruct me, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, Job? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Where were you when I created these things, Job? And he goes on for two chapters like that. Two chapters where he fronts Job with the questions. And he says, where were you when I created all this? And who gave me the advice here? And finally, look at chapter 40. The Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. And then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to thee? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer even twice, and I will add 
no more. Job is broken. And you would think now God has him where he wants him. Behold, I am insignificant. What have I been saying? What can I reply to you? But God doesn't let up. He stays right on him. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity. Clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowings of your anger. And look on everyone who's proud and make him low. Look on everyone who's proud and humble him, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together, bind them in the hidden place. Then I'll confess to you that your own right hand can save you. How about you do what I can do, and then I'll talk to you, Job. Then I'll confess that your own right hand can save you. But you can't, and he stays right on Job. He presses down on him. He wants us to learn this. He wants Job to learn. He wants you and me to learn this. Who has first given to him that he would owe us anything? He doesn't owe us an answer. And finally, Job, chapter 42, answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all things. I know that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've declared that which I didn't understand. I've been talking about things far too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. That's where God wanted Job. That's where he wants you and me humbled before him. That's where Paul quotes from when he says, don't you think that you can in any way put God in your debt? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He is the first cause for from him. And he is the efficient cause through him. And he is the final cause to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I repeat it. God is the giver of all good things. If you've understood Romans, if you've seen where Paul has been going, you're saying with me, oh, to God be the glory. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How could have we have ever, we would have never come up with this. He and He alone could do this and would do this, and He did, and He did. Not to us, O oh Lord, but to Thy name give glory, the psalmist says, Psalm 115. God gets all the glory. You know, in heaven, there'll be no ego tripping. There'll be no praising of man. It will be praise and glory and honor to the Lord God Almighty. Now, as we close, let me give you three things real briefly. First of all, all truth, all truth tends to exalt, I mean, I should say exalt, exalt God and God alone. 
and humble man. The tendency of all truth. God is truth. His Spirit is the Spirit of truth. His Word is the Word of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Truth exalts God and humbles man. All truth. And you can turn that around, by the way. Air tends to exalt man and bring God down. And we've got a culture full of it today. And sadly, often we have a church full of it. In evangelicalism today, there's a tendency to want to turn things around and exalt man and bring God down. That's the result of error. Truth exalts God. Error lies, the father of lies, Satan, and all his deceit, he'll always do things the other way around. So that's the first thing I'd underline. Secondly, God's judgments, His ways, His decisions, His purposes, His decrees will one day be seen to bring Him and Him alone glory. In that day, Isaiah says, the proud look of man will be abased. The loftiness of man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted. In that day, everything God does will one day come to fruition in His glory and our good as His children. It's amazing to think on. And then thirdly, remember this whole, you know, the theologians call it a doxology, this whole burst of praise that just naturally flows out of Paul's heart. It's in response to what? The gospel of grace. That God has provided a Savior. Oh, God's purposes throughout eternity will revolve around glorifying His Son, the Savior of sinners. And today, if you've heard His voice, if you've been listening to Romans, if maybe you just today have seen your own need, that you could never bring anything worthy to God, but He sent His Son to die for you. Let me tell you, as surely as I can tell you, Though God is never and never will be under any obligation from one of His creatures, He, listen carefully, has put Himself under obligation to save those who believe in Jesus Christ. He has guaranteed with His Word, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God, and I speak reverently, who will never be obligated, has obligated Himself to save whoever will call on Him. Oh, what a gospel we have for our generation. What a good news I have for any man, woman, or child who will listen. If you've got ears to hear, hear, Jesus said, I'll save you. And He will. No wonder we praise Him. No wonder we stand in awe of Him. been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, To Him Be the Glory Forever, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. It's not that there aren't commands. Jesus said, listen, these things I've commanded you, that your joy may be full. So we have plenty of commands, and we should stand at attention. That's really what presenting ourselves means, to be at His disposal. But He's not a tyrant that just says, I command you to do this and that. You know, and sometimes I catch myself as a parent, just throwing out orders. And there's a place for that, obviously, to just say, here's what I want done. But there's also a place for coming alongside and exhorting and urging. And the wise parent does a little of both. And God, the Heavenly Father, He is the pattern of what a good father ought to be. He is the perfect one. He says, I urge you, in light of what I've done for you, I urge you to give me your life, to put yourself at my disposal. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott begins a four-part message titled, Present Yourselves. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.